1: Welcome. it's UAP episode 51 of the, the Unidentified Alien podcast. I'm glad you're here with us to join. Myself right here, Stephen Diener and Karen Curtis over there. How are you, Karen?
0: I'm well, thank you so much. Wonderful. We survived our 50th episode. Wow,
1: how about that, huh? Yes. And now we're on the other side of 50. I feel old. So here, <laughs> I've been are. on the
0: other side of 50 for a while.
1: <laughs> but here we are, ready to go on the newest episode of UAP. So thanks again for joining us, because this time we are talking about... This is actually something that I've had written down as an idea for, I don't even know now, maybe three months. And its it all kind of stemmed from a previous episode that we did where we talked about like undeniable mass sightings and things like that. where you Because know, we had people say to us, oh, well, how come these abductions or sightings only take place in cornfields? And we were like, well, they don't. And here's yeah, some... Yeah, why
0: don't they land in Times Square?
1: Right. So, And then we were like, well, here's some stories, I hate to say proof, but here's some stories of, you know, examples of what you're looking for, because things have happened in New York and things have happened in, you know, in front of a lot of people. So it was after that one that we did maybe 20 episodes ago, I don't even know, where I thought, you know what, I wonder what kind of sightings there have been before the dawn of aviation, because then it's hard to say, well, that just must have been, you know, an experimental airplane from the Air Force.
0: Well, you can't say that no, if airplanes didn't exist or a weather yet. balloon. Right. So, you know, by the way, there won't be a lot of audio in this one because there weren't a lot of recording devices in the
1: 1800s. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be a lot of us talking, which I hope you enjoy. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's, you know, they're very fascinating stories. So what we're looking at today is, what's that in the sky? Pre-aviation sightings and, you know, before the Wright brothers type thing, before 1903. Something that you can't explain away as a military experiment. And of course, so we're not talking about ancient aliens, Mm -hmm. But we're talking about stuff, you know, more around the 1800s, UFO sightings in that era, which is, you know, again, hard to explain away. So we're going to get into all that today.
0: Yeah, well, you know, back then we didn't have flight, but today we do. And in fact, NASA's Artemis 1. Oh, wait, is this
1: your factoid? It is. All right, here we go with the factoid.
0: We'll launch August 29th from the Kennedy Space Center.
1: I am so looking forward to it's this. It's going
0: to be huge in more one ways than one. It'll be the largest rocket launched from Florida in years. Yeah. And the NASA Administrator, Bill Nelson, who's been to space.
1: Yeah, former astronaut,
0: right? Former senator. Senator. Right, yeah. Super excited. Historic launch pad, 39B. It's no stranger to monster rockets. Saturn V was there. 7.6 million pounds of thrust. This baby's going to be 8.8. Woo! He's excited about that thrust,
1: isn't he? Thrust. I love that, though. I mean, I'm with—look, we're space geeks, I mean, just just like Bill Nelson is. So I'm so excited for that Artemis mission to think that, you know, we're going to be going back to the moon. And, I mean, that hasn't happened, well, since the 70s, yeah. since, since the last Apollo mission. And so. the
0: uh, Artemis program is going to put humans back on the moon within the decade, Stephen.
1: Yes. Not on this first one that's going to launch on the right. 29th, but to know that it's the start of that— mission the start of that journey to get us back to the moon is is so exciting plus it's a huge rocket so it's gonna be fun to watch yeah
0: i'd love to be able to feel that (laughs) thrust
1: oh my so if you have been listening to the show may not anymore after that but i hope you can tell that one thing that we always try to do is approach each story with with an open mind you know all the details that we bring to you we'd like to have for you to have an open mind and we keep an open mind as well I also like to think that we've been able to present the details in such a way that it lets you make up your own mind. That's what we always preach, right? We we, we preach that we're not preachy <laughs> and that we let you make up your own mind from the details that we give you. Yes. But another thing that we try to do is to take a detective-like approach and look at a scenario that seemingly defies explanation. We do that sometimes. We connect the dots with different stories that we've talked about. And that right there is exactly what we're going to do today. When we look at these stories of UFO sightings that predate the Wright Brothers, you know, the first flight of an airplane, I guess, you know, in 1903.
0: I just want to set the stage quickly here for technology in the 1800s. Yes, please. In 1800, the first battery was created. Wow. Okay. 1830, the first sewing machine. How about that? 1835, photography, a wrench, and a propeller along with a mechanical calculator.
1: Good year. Yeah, strong year there strong for inventions. Year.
0: 1836, Samuel Colt invents the revolver, so you got a gun. Wow. Morse code in 1838, and 1942, you got the elevator. Hmm. Then a biggie in 1946, anesthesia. Thank oh wow, God, thank God for that. <laughs> 1880, Thomas Edison patents electric lamp. Right. 1891, Nikola Tesla invents his namesake coil, mm-hmm. and then the Hoover Dam was built in 1935.
1: There you go. So that's just a little, for, for perspective.
0: We've come a long way, baby. We
1: have. Some of these things you're going to hear about, it's kind of hard to explain when you're talking about, you know, what was invented in, in what time frame there, like you were saying, Karen. So in short, if it wasn't an airplane or some other type of man-made flying machine, then what can we attribute the sightings to during the 1800s? Yes. Now, just for uh, clarity for, what's the word I'm looking for, I guess, to be precise, Right. I want to tell you that the Wright brothers were not the first people to invent a flying machine.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: if we have someone who says, "Well, you guys forget about the Zeppelin," I did not forget about the Zeppelin because the first Zeppelin took flight on July second, nineteen hundred, near Lake Constance in Germany. It carried five passengers, but the first flying airship was invented in eighteen fifty two. So, I did want to say that. Now, again, who invented
0: are- it? The Germans.
1: I uh, Actually, the French. The French. So that was the first successful airship. It was constructed by Henri Giffard in France in 1852. My way. I know. You're a French major, so you know. It was 350 pounds, and it had a steam engine, steam engine oh. capable of developing three horsepower, which was enough to burn one large propeller at 110 revolutions per minute. So keep that in mind when you hear these stories, because you're going to think to yourself, I'm telling you right now, well, that couldn't have been... That flying machine that they saw doesn't match. So I just want to let you know what was available man-made during that time frame. And that's that's pretty much what it was. A flying machine that had three horsepower. Our first sighting, Karen, takes us all the way back to the turn of the 19th century. When a letter was sent to then Vice President Thomas Jefferson in the year 1800. That said, I'm going to read the letter to you. This okay. was sent to Jefferson and kept in public domain. It's still in public domain, but it was part of the what was called the American Philosophical Society. It's dated June 30th, 1800. It was from a man named William Dunbarton. He was actually an investigator of natural phenomena, and he was in the southeastern states, you know, like Louisiana, Mississippi area. Um, so it was that's actually what you had a phenomena investigator that long ago. I love it. Right? Yeah. So this was his letter that was passed along to Thomas Jefferson again, in the year eighteen hundred. So here's how it reads A phenomenon was seen to pass Baton Rouge on the night of the fifth of April, eighteen hundred, of which the following is the best description I've been able to obtain. It was first seen in the South in the Southwest and moved so rapidly okay, so there's your first clue. Uh-huh. Right? It doesn't sound like that three horsepower No. Air uh, flying machine that was invented in France. It moves so rapidly and passing over the heads of the spectators as to disappear in the northeast Hmm. in about a quarter of a minute. So 15 minute flight, right? No, 15 seconds. I'm sorry. Quarter of a minute. It appeared to be the size of a large house. It was Dorothy. Oh, my. 70 or 80 feet long. It looked to be about 200 yards above the surface of the earth. Not that high. No. 200 yards is nothing. And he called it wholly luminous, not huh. not holy, but like the entire thing, entirely like entirely luminous, right? Entirely luminous, but not emitting sparks huh. of a color resembling the sun near the horizon in a cold, frosty evening. Don't you love the way they used to write oh, these my things? Goodness. Which may be called a crimson red is okay. how they described it. When passing right over the heads of its of the spectators, the light on the surface of the earth was little short of the effect of sunbeams, though at the same time. Looking another way, the stars were visible, which appears to be a confirmation of the opinion formed of its moderate elevation. So he's kind of, he has an observation of basically how this thing was flying, the elevation of it, things like that. In passing, a considerable degree of heat was felt, Hmm. but no electric sensation.
0: Wait a minute.
1: So, like static electricity, because they knew, you know, Benjamin Franklin and all that stuff. So it's the time period fits. Immediately after it disappeared in the northeast, a violent rushing noise was heard as if the phenomenon was bearing down the forest before it. And in a few seconds, a tremendous crash was heard similar to that of the largest piece of ordnance, causing a very sensible earthquake. So they, felt, they heard this thing crash. They felt the reverberation of the crash as they were standing there watching it. This is his description of it. He goes on. I have been informed that search has been made in the place where the burning body fell not like a body of right. a human but you know the body of a craft or whatever it was and that a considerable portion of the surface of the earth was found broken up and every vegetable body burned or greatly scorched I have not yet received answers to a number of queries I've sent on which may perhaps bring to the light more particulars so that's the le- the letter that he sent wow. to Jefferson in public domain and was kept you know in there in the American Philosophical Society. So I guess the question is... It
0: sounds like aliens have made advancements, too.
1: Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Maybe they're not crashing as much as they used to in 1800. But was it a UFO? Was it an asteroid, a meteor, whatever? Or was it something else entirely? What I guess... Well, it was hot. It was hot. So I guess the question, the biggest question is, what are we to make of this? Is this one of the earliest recorded... UFO sightings in America.
0: I think if it was a meteor the size of a house, it would have done more damage.
1: It's a good point, right? Yeah. So if you're talking about, if you're going with the eyewitness account of seventy be going to eighty so feet
0: fast, my, I mean, it can't. William
1: Dunbarton wouldn't be alive to no. write this account to Thomas Jefferson. No, I mean that that's a huge meteor at that point. I yeah. mean it would make a giant crater, yeah. a crater probably that we'd still be visiting today, sure. in in Baton Rouge. So I don't, I don't know what to make of that. No, <laughs> right? I mean they feel the heat of it. It's flying low, 200 yards overhead, and it emits like this red light. So, you, I mean, with those things, you kind of last for 15 seconds. So, with those details, you think, all right, this is some type of meteor or whatever. But,
0: no, it's not going fast enough. Yeah.
1: The biggest thing and it's is. It's not
0: high from coming from high to low. Right. Was well, it going like across? He's straight. Yeah, straight across.
1: So, I, and I think the biggest, the best point that you make, Karen, the biggest thing to keep in mind is the size of it. It's too big. Right. They would be dead. I mean, 80 feet. That's that's huge.
0: That is a big meteor.
1: So I think we might be talking about one of the first recorded sightings in American history. Of a UFO. Yeah. Yeah. That was given to Thomas Jefferson <laughs> when he was vice president of, of the United States. But
0: you know what is interesting? It says that the ground was broken up and that the vegetables mm-hmm. were burned. I'm wondering if this thing went subterranean. Maybe. You know, because they didn't find the They Didn't find wreckage, right?
1: Right. I mean, we talked a lot about USOs, right? Unidentified submerged objects or submersible objects last week. Now, this didn't crash into the water, but it's something. Maybe they went underground. It's it's it's, hey, it's a fair it's question possible. to ask. Right. Yeah, it's as good a question as any other. Makes you wonder. Yeah. But now this next one is kind of strange because it is. <laughs> it's kind of hard to make heads or tails of it, but we're going to do our best to explain it because this sighting comes from a report dating back to 1860. Okay, it's July 13th, 1860, to be exact. And what was described as a pale blue light engulfed the city of Wilmington, Delaware. I'm going to stop there for a second because it reminds me. And if you've listened to the show, maybe you've only heard a few episodes or whatever it might be. And that's totally fine. But we had an episode. I want to say, gosh, I don't know, maybe somewhere a couple of months ago where we talked about the grizzly abduction of a, um, an army sergeant. And we one of the stories that we spoke about was during the Korean War. And if you remember, during that, yes. these soldiers who described their alien encounter, up close, alien encounter, basically a fight they got into with a UFO. Right, yes. And they mentioned a pale blue light. Yes, they did. And this happened in the Korean War. So you're talking 90 years later, right, in the 1950s? Some of this- these
0: sync up with... You know, other accounts.
1: Yeah. You were talking about the same type of pale blue light that was described in 1860, okay, in Delaware, to Korea.
0: Right. On a mountain.
1: In the 1950s, on a mountain. Just something to keep in mind. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you could always go back and search for those episodes. Again, I forget the exact name. It's the Grizzly Abduction of Sergeant somebody off the top of my head. It's actually one of our more downloaded episodes, more listened to episodes. It's a wild, there's a couple of really incredible stories in there. (laughs) One of them's actually kind of disturbing, and that's the grisly abduction part. But so you. Can, oh
0: yeah, what happened yeah, to him? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yes.
1: So you can always go back, you know, uh, wherever you get the podcast right now, and and find uh, find that episode. But so they see this p- this pale blue light engulfing the city there in Delaware of uh, Wilmington. Residents they've looked up into the evening sky. Now to Now this see- is
0: pre Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yes, because he's from Delaware. They looked up into the evening sky to see what was happening, right? I mean, what's what the heck is going on? Why? Right, what is this, what light? is this blue light? Sure. What they saw was something they referred to as a 200-foot-long UFO huh. streaking along the sky on a level course. Okay, so it's not okay. going up or down. It's just straight and straight and steady. Trailing behind it, though, oh boy, was one in in 100-foot intervals cruised three they what well, were described as very red and glowing balls. Okay,
0: so you got the blue light, mm-hmm. which is really large, 200 feet long, and then you've got three balls.
1: Three, yeah, very red glowing, which we've heard of before. If you if you remember some of the stories, we haven't gotten too much in detail of like the Foo Fighters, not the music group, with Dave Grohl, but the Foo Fighters that were referred to as that through World War II is what the American pilots called these UFOs they were seen. Normally they were red or orange glowing orbs.
0: Yeah, when they were in the sky, they were fighting. Yeah, they saw these orbs.
1: And they would be, you know, kind of chasing the airplanes and messing up all their instruments. So, pretty interesting detail there. Yes, yeah, it is. this is 1860. Right. You know, 80 years before World War II. So, they, they're seeing these glowing red balls, right? Now, a fourth, this is where it kind of gets a little weird, this fourth Thing abruptly joined the other three after shooting out from the rear of the main object. Oh, okay, so it's producing
0: them. I got it.
1: Now, this was giving off sparkles, as it's described, after the manner of a rocket. So, I guess, you know,
0: Yeah, but they they don't have rockets. Right, right, so how do
1: they? Oh, no,
0: this they did. The rockets red glare. Rockets red glare,
1: exactly. So, not rockets like we're thinking, but rockets as in, you know, weapons. Right. The lead object turned toward the southeast and passed over the Delaware River and then headed straight east until lost from view. This incident, which was reported in the the Wilmington Tribune at the the time, lasted one minute. That's
0: a long time. It is. A minute is a long time when you really think about it.
1: But it's interesting to note a couple of details there at the end. It headed straight east until lost from view, but was originally, it turned toward the southeast. So this thing wasn't going straight. So this wasn't like a meteor coming down, a shooting star. It was maneuvering. Right, exactly. So what the heck was this? And you got these things coming out of it. Because, again, there's details within both of these stories where you can say, well, this might have been some type of shooting star or even a comet or an asteroid of some sort, meteor, whatever you want to call it. You know, the blue light, the red light, things shooting out from the tail. But when you have a change of direction— yes. That's the part that gets me. There's or in the first story, mechanism. it's too big.
0: And the other thing that sticks out is it's residents, plural. So there's multiple people. Multiple witnesses, that right. saw it.
1: And it was reported in the newspaper at right, that time. Right, So, I mean, again, it's just hard to explain away because you have to remember the time period. It's in the 1860s. So it's not an experimental aircraft. Okay, we talked about it. The only aircraft that was man-made at that point was the... Slow-moving airship that was invented by Henri Giffard okay, in, in France Ooh la la. in 1852. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't
0: know what the mind reels.
1: It does. Yes. Again, maybe this is you know these are things that were being seen over American skies before we had flying machines of our own. And so. you know,
0: back then they probably weren't shunned or
1: right. It was cancelled. Yeah. For
0: Reporting, seeing these things—you
1: weren't looked at as a crazy person. As a
0: crazy person, they yeah. just all these people said, "Hey, did you see what we saw in the sky last night?" Yeah, and they probably talked about it at church.
1: Well, which brings us to our next story, Karen. Oh boy, <laughs> this is—I uh, love this—and for a couple of reasons, actually, because not only do we get not—not not, I mean the detail is great. There's one in particular that I find highly intriguing that we're going to get to here, but also because I get to read what I think is a priceless piece of poetry that comes along with the story. Oh my
0: God, you're going to read poetry? (laughs) I
1: am, yes.
0: Oh no, excuse me, you're going to recite poetry? I Recite
1: it, yes, that's right. But, so this next one here moves us over to Nebraska. See,
0: again, farmers in the field. Yeah,
1: well, this one actually was. Moves us over to Nebraska, um, and they actually came across, and this is the part that intrigued me, an elongated shaped UFO. Aha.
0: Uh-huh. You've
1: heard that before, the right? The pill. The pill or the cigar shape.
0: Cigar shape.
1: Always a big one that we hear in sightings, in modern day sightings. So they're describing that elongated shaped UFO that we hear a lot about today. And this is back in the 1850s and 60s when these sightings were taking place over Nebraska.
0: But they also said it was a scaly, luminous serpent. That's so. how they described it,
1: yeah. Because they I guess they didn't know how else to to, to think of it. They huh. see this long, glowing thing in the sky. Right. Okay. So they call it a, a luminous, scaly serpent. And these sightings did take place between the 1850s and 60s, where the settlers of Nebraska related some of the rather unnerving phenomenon. Now, this is where I love it because there's someone who... Uh, they wrote. They wrote it in a, I guess, a way of poetry, to try to describe one thing that they saw in 1866. It
0: wasn't a Nostradamus quatrain, was no,
1: it? No, okay. no, no, no. So here is, <laughs> here is how they.
0: It was a rubaiyat by Omar Khayyam.
1: Okay, maybe. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to do my best here to try to channel 1860s Nebraska settlers. All right. <laughs> Twas on a dark night in '66 when we was laying steel. We've seen a flying engine without no wing or wheel. It came a roaring in the sky with lights along the side and scales like a serpent's hide. Eat your heart out, Shakespeare. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's what I have to say. But all kitty aside, I mean, the really strange part about this was that an almost identical sighting was reported in Chile in 1868. Oh, uh, no way. And their sighting read, On its body, elongated like a serpent, we could only see brilliant scales. Hmm. These same keywords, right, from Nebraska to Chile, and they said it clashed together with a metallic sound as the strange animal turned turned its body in flight. And I said turned on purpose because mm. I wanted to point out, highlight the fact that it, this thing's moving in d- different directions. It's not a straight streak across the sky like you would expect from a meteor or or whatever it might be. It's turning.
0: This what? is, by the way, that wasn't a poem. It's a Nebraska folk ballad. Thank you.
1: He yes. sang it. Yes, that's right. Well, I wasn't going to sing, Around so. Around the
0: campfire. No, you got to sing poem. it now. No,
1: no, no. That's why I refer to it as a poem, because <laughs> if I'm saying it's a ballad, then I'm going to sing it, and you do not want to hear me sing.
0: I think they sang it in Blazing Saddles.
1: Maybe. <laughs> so, boy, it's just it's wild, though, isn't it? So they're seeing this cigar-shaped UFO. What we know now to be called the cigar-shaped UFO, you know, elongated, metallic. They see it in Chile in 1868. They describe it the same way: luminous serpents, scaly.
0: Like maybe heat tiles.
1: Might be right. Right. You know, what are the scales that they're seeing? Right. Maybe it's something with, like you said, heat tiles, something to you know absorb the heat from the atmosphere of the Earth as it enters, like we see now on modern-day, you know, rockets and things like that. It's possible. You know, and they didn't know how else to describe it, and they're, so they're seeing in Nebraska what they're seeing in Chile, and giving the same description in the 1860s. Yes. How is that possible? Wow. Man. <laughs> Again, before the, uh, the the birth of aviation. How
0: did they chronicle it in Chile, though? Did they write it in sans- they, Sanskrit or no, something? No, the they had stone?
1: they had things to write in Chile in 1868. Okay. okay? It's not like you know. They weren't developed long enough. Well, at that I'm point. not
0: not that. Okay.
1: <laughs> Maybe they had newspapers. There you go. Maybe that's what it was. But it's still it's it's fascinating either way. No matter how they, you know, kept records of
0: it, right? Right. I think it's great. They wrote songs about it. <laughs>
1: yes, that's right. Folk ballads. Hey,
0: they wrote about this stuff in the Bible. That's true. You know, they wrote about strange things with fire coming out of them in the sky all the time.
1: Yeah. So, something to consider. How is this happening? How are they all having the same descriptions? And what are they seeing? That's You make up your own mind on it. I mean, it's fascinating. That's That's one thing we know for sure. It's extremely fascinating. Lastly, let's go ahead and explore here, Karen, what is considered to be the first... UFO wave of mass sightings. Now, we've heard before of, you know, wave of sightings. Famously, uh, one took place, I believe, in the 40s or the 50s in Washington, D.C. You know, there's been a few in, in the late 90s. There was a wave of sightings culminating with the Phoenix Lights, which we've talked about. But this might be the first documented wave of UFO sightings that took place between 1896 and 1897. Now, you may remember from a previous episode, we spoke about what's considered to be the first reported UFO crash, crash site that took place in Aurora, Texas in 1897. Oh,
0: that's right. Remember that
1: one we talked about? They actually had a grave site. They had a funeral for the aliens.
0: They did. We have photos of it up at our blog. That's
1: right. And we (laughs) had the children who were alive at that time told the story, you know, to newspapers in the 50s. They said, yeah, we remember our parents there at the funeral. They told us they buried these alien bodies.
0: They all described them in the same way. Yep.
1: These, you know, short gray aliens yep. and, you know, size uh, of, of even a child. They
0: recreated it. They have a, a festival or a parade every year. That's right. With recreated, per, you know, floats yeah. with these aliens You can on go
1: them. to the gravesite in Aurora, Texas today. Uh, I mean, they did all tons of investigations with it. They tried to exhume the bodies, but the bodies were gone, mm. of course. Mm. So... Crazy story. We did a whole episode on it. If you want to go back and listen to it, I forget which number that was, but I'm sure if you sift through, you can find it. If you if you'd like to hear that thing in detail, but it actually it goes hand in hand.
0: Yes, it does
1: with this you know first wave of mass sightings that we're talking about between 90, 1896 and 1897. But what you may not know is that that report happened at the tail end of the crash. You know, like we're saying, at the the rash of those sightings during this time period. So, this might uh, help to explain things a little bit here. In 1896
0: and 7, hundreds of Western American newspapers reported mass sightings of fantastic winged airships performing maneuvers years ahead of the technology of the time. In some cases, the airships landed, and their pilots talked to witnesses. Most Americans assumed a secret inventor would soon take credit for the sightings, but no one who did so could prove ownership of a functional flying machine the mystery airships remain unidentified, constituting an early wave of UFOs before flying saucers and almost before flight itself.
1: Makes you wonder. I mean, I think that pretty much encapsulates everything we've been talking about is to really put into perspective what they were seeing, what they're describing, all these things that we just went over with you in this episode, and to consider that there's really no way of explaining what they were seeing because they didn't have flying machines yet. And even with the Wright brothers in 1903, it's not like an airplane was being mass-produced. I mean, you know, it's not like commercial aviation was a thing in in the early 1900s. So even with that, it's hard to explain away these these sightings, especially when you start to connect the dots with different stories that are
0: being told. It's odd. It is odd. I mean, they had planes that were created oh, thousands of years ago out of gold mm. that actually have are capable of flight the way the wings are. They're not like a bird. Right. You no. Know? They have the actual wings that can have lift. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that it's people have been seeing stuff in the sky for years and years and years. A
1: long time. Yeah. I mean, that's why we've talked about, you know, aliens of the ancient past and things like that and why that always comes up. But it's, it's interesting to note, you know, some maybe you picked up on this in that sound there, was people talking about the inhabitants of the ship would come out and talk to them. And, you know, sometimes they'd be dressed in strange clothes. There was one ship where the uh, the crew came out and said that they were part of the Ten Tribes of, of Israel and that they, you know, live on, you know, the other side of the world and all these different things. So the the weird thing about that time period was... And this is something to keep in mind, just to be fair. The newspapers at that time didn't really care about what was true or not. (laughs) It was very tabloid-ish. Which, you know, if you want to debate, you can say that's kind of the same way now with news media. But that's neither here nor there. But it was very tabloid-ish in that they like to sensationalize news. That might sound familiar to the present day. So some newspapers would take these fantastical stories and really hype them up. And a lot of it, a lot of these things that were being reported during that time frame were just flat out made up stories oh. to try to sell papers. So that's why it's hard to decipher what was a real sighting and what was just basically fake news to try to sell newspapers during that time frame of 1896 to 1897. But you
0: have to have the concept of something flying in the sky.
1: Yes, and these and these sightings were taking, you know
0: what I mean? You can't, And that's kind of like a difficult thing to make up. And they're all kind of much pretty much the same unless you're just repeating the same story over and over. Well, and that's the thing, the, too. The, the same fake story. And some of these people
1: were really seeing flying machines that they couldn't understand. They just now the way that they were described. And this is why it's kind of hard to decipher which ones were true, and which ones were kind of made up. They described them like a Zeppelin, like a flying airship, but it had wings. Some of them described them as, you know, a balloon type of uh, aircraft with four wings on it, like a dragonfly. So there's some things that were just like, some of the reports don't really hold water, but you have other ones that people were seeing, like Aurora, Texas, where the ship crashed, and they had alien bodies that they had a funeral for that are very hard to explain, and there were a few that remain to this day unexplained during that time period of 1896 and 1897. But a lot of times, and it's unfortunate because what happened is they took those real sightings, the newspapers in California, and then it kind of moved over through the Central America, not Central America, but Midwest, and then, you know, over more towards New York and things like that. They took these real sightings to basically say, oh, now we're going to create our own sightings to sell newspapers. So that's why it's kind of hard to say, well... This one was a real sighting. This right. one was made up to, you know, kind of hype it up.
0: Yeah, well, that happens. But
1: that was the time period, you know, and that's why we want. I just wanted to point that out, to be fair, to say not everything in that time period may have been a true sighting.
0: <laughs> and I, you know, I got you on that. But it's interesting how far we've come from then until now. And with our technology, you would think that we would have more sightings mm. if, if all of this is true. And we would be able to verify our sightings.
1: And what's harder which now? They
0: sort of have with yeah. our military.
1: And that's the thing, right? Exactly, and that's why you know when you talk about the tic tac video from from the Nimitz or whatever videos that they've disclosed recently in the congressional hearings. Those are all unexplainable videos. But what makes it hard for us now in the present day is there's so many ways to fake a video.
0: Oh, yeah, see? Mm.
1: Photoshop or video editing, you know, moving shadows around, basically creating your own CGI. So there's so many ways now where you can fake a UFO sighting and post it on YouTube or post it on social media, put it on TikTok and say, oh, my gosh, look what I saw fly over from my house the other night. What was this? And it's completely contrived.
0: Yeah, we had one sighting in Miami that I put up and mm-hmm. went and went viral, but there were multiple people from their balconies in downtown Miami that used their phones to videotape it. So right. it looked real to me. Yeah. You know, but maybe it wasn't.
1: And even that one was disputed. So that's the main thing of the show. You make up your own mind, right? We just give you the details. It's so difficult. It is. It is. But I, I, to me, some of these stories, when you connect the dots. It's hard to explain away... You
0: know, until I shake the... Given three, the time period, too. Yeah. Until I shake the three-fingered hand of a gray, I'm just not... Gonna, <laughs> I'm just not 100%. We haven't convinced you yet, Karen? Not yet. Right. I mean, I'm close, but...
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, for some of some you... Some of this it,
0: is just hard to... You just can't No, it's it's hard it. to fathom it. Yeah. It, right. You it know, is. it's
1: hard to wrap your head around some of this stuff, but that's what we do. That's why we do it, because we love it. It's, it's fascinating. It is. To say the least. And next week is going to be fascinating as well, because... We had someone write to us recently, actually, on social media, on our Twitter handle, at UA Podcast 850 They brought up a story that I have always found to be one of the most incredible stories, UFO or non-UFO related, of all time. And that is the miracle of the sun that took place in Fatima in 1917, 1918 area um, with the visions of the Virgin Mary that the three children were having which is still talked about and disputed to this day over 100 years later. Well,
0: I do believe Fatima and Lourdes have been sanctioned by the Catholic Church as true miracles.
1: I'm pretty sure, yeah. I know Lourdes have for sure.
0: I've been to Medjugorje. They've had a sighting there, too, but that was not sanctioned. That's not sanctioned, right. it's called the Spirit in the Sky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing happened there.
1: So the story of the, the miracle of the sun, as it's called in Fatima, someone wrote to us about that on Twitter, one of our listeners said, hey, maybe you should look into this. And I love that story. So I kind of went down a rabbit hole doing some other um, research for this episode, and I kind of realized, wait a minute, there's actually a lot that we can cover where we could say, is this divine or alien intervention? Oh, I love it. And it has to do with George Washington as well. No way. (laughs) It's pretty wild some of these things, how it all comes together. That's so fun. It might be a two-parter. I'm just letting you know right now. Whoa.
0: You really went down the rabbit hole. I'm
1: saying. So (laughs) we're going to get into uh, a lot of that stuff next week on episode 52 on UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Make sure to keep looking for the show wherever you get your podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, whatever it might be, or on 850wftl.com, where the show lives, on the podcast section. You can always look us up there as well. Give us five extraterrestrial stars in the ratings section. Give us some feedback. We always love the feedback, whether it's on you know iTunes or Spotify or on Twitter at UAPodcast850. We always appreciate it.
0: And uh, if you're French, I'm sorry. Je suis désolé. <laughs>
1: See, Karen knows a little bit of French. How do you like that?
0: So until next time,
1: there's Karen Curtis right there. Stephen Diener right here. Thanks again for everything, for consuming the show the way that you have. It's been wonderful. It's huge. So we hope that you continue to enjoy it and make it even bigger. Take us interstellar. Please, yeah. So until next time, enjoy. And we'll talk to you again on episode 52 of UAP.